I'm Irene Fable. I'm 75. I went to a residence in school in Muskogon in 1941 to 1949. And I had a very, very rough life. I was mistreated in every way. As a young girl, she was seven years old. She was pregnant. And what they did, she had her baby. They, they took the baby, wrapped it up in a nice pink outfit, took it downstairs. I was in the kitchen with the nun for cooking supper. They took the baby into the, uh, what do you call that, where they make a fire and all that to heat up the school furnace room. They threw that little baby in there and burnt it alive. All you could hear was, ah! that was it. And you could smell the, the, you know, the flesh cooking. Uh-uh. It's a big mistake when people say we were treated good. No way. There's a lot of things that happen in, in those boarding schools. And this is Kevin Annett. You're listening to Here We Stand. That was the voice of Irene Fable, eyewitness to the incineration of a newborn baby. The Musqueegan Catholic Residential School in Saskatchewan in the spring of 1944. As a matter of fact, exactly the same time when another eyewitness, uh, Irene McNaughton, in the Brantford, Ontario Catholic Schools, an Anglican uh, residence nearby, saw soldiers taking some kids from the school and shooting them and throwing them in a ditch. These crimes, of course, censored out consistently. The night and fog descends on anyone who tries to bring these stories out and on the witnesses themselves. We're here to shine a light on all of that so we can recover our nation, which has been stolen from us through our own complicity, perhaps in ignorance, but nevertheless, a complicity we need to address. It being solstice today, June 20th, 2021, daylight is everywhere. It's the longest day of the year, and we want to use that as a metaphor for the show today. We are shining the light, the light that never goes out on these crimes. We're here every Sunday, 3 p.m. Pacific. Follow the work and the truth of this campaign that's been going on over 25 years at murderbydecree.com. And before we get into this, one of the, the purposes of today's show is to give necessary background, not only on the crime and the enormous human cost in bringing out the truth, this long campaign we've conducted for many years, but the fact that the church and state in Canada are already tried and convicted criminal bodies. It's not a matter of it waiting for the Pope to issue some kind of apology or having people leave children's shoes on the front stairs of these churches. These churches are convicted criminal bodies. The Pope and Justin Trudeau belong in jail. Trudeau admitted in June 2019 the genocide was committed in Canada. At that point, he should have been hauled before a war crimes tribunal under international law, under the Convention on Genocide, which he, Canada signed in 1948 and which binds Canada under international law. When genocide is admitted or proven in a nation, that nation is to be, quote, prosecuted and punished. Well, what's going on now is not only isn't there any punishment or prosecution going on, but the criminals themselves are digging up the crime scenes. We've had a lot of that in the news from the Kamloops Residential School, where in May 27th, the news broke that 215 remains of children were found. Now, of course, that news has been out for 107 years in Canada. On the front page of the Ottawa Citizen, in actually 114 years, in November 15th, 1907, 
it was reported that the death rate in the Western residential schools incarcerated in all these native children, the death rate on average was between 40 and 69%. So the logical question then, when you see that figure on the front page of the largest newspaper in Eastern Canada, the logical question is, well, where did all the bodies go? Well, over the years, we proved where all the bodies were. In 2008, our movement, friends and relatives of the disappeared, and then our own Truth Commission in Genocide in Canada, we published a list of 28 mass grave sites across Canada. In 2011 and 2012, I was invited by the Grand River Mohawks to come to the Brantford Residential School and to dig at a site with accredited archaeologists. We uncovered the bones of children, tested positive that these were the bones of young children, yet ignored and totally blacked out in the Canadian media. Yet today, suddenly it's acceptable to talk about the issue. Even the BBC and the Pope and New York Times are commenting on it. All the signs of a controlled spin. And we're going to talk about that today, how it came about. We're going to talk about the hard evidence of genocide, the continual cover-up, which of course is as serious a crime under the law as the crime itself, and the campaign to expose this, especially in the light that this crime is continuing today. Murderbydecree.com, republicofcanada.ca, because the movement to establish a republic in Canada arose naturally out of this conviction of church and state for these crimes. The Queen of England, the head of state in Canada, is a convicted felon, and we're going to get into the evidence of that today as well, involving, lo and behold, the Kamloops Residential School, where she abducted 10 children in 1964, and they were never seen again. And the eyewitness to that, William Coombs, killed off by lethal injection in St. Paul's Hospital. This is an ongoing drama, and it involves all of us. Now, I want to start with uh, actually some telling quotes. When we're talking about shining light on something, I'm reminded of my ancestor, Peter Annett. And, you know, these things run in families, of course. And uh, uh, my ancestor was a free-thinking philosopher in England who used to write pamphlets condemning the Anglican Church for its false teachings, for its hypocrisy. And back then, and still to this day, it's a, a law called the Blasphemous Libel Law. If you criticize the church publicly, you can go to jail for two years, anywhere in the Commonwealth, including Canada. Because an, act of, a, an attack on the church is seen as an act against the state, an act of treason. So Peter Annett, my ancestor, was sitting there in prison, and he wrote, We shall expose the hidden works of darkness and drive falsely to the bottomless pit, something we're still doing against the same enemy today, 250 years later. And another quote from the Hindu philosopher Krishnamurti, who said, it takes only one man to commit a crime, but a whole community to conceal it. And we're witnessing that today, the institutionalized cover-up, and I'm going to get into that in some detail. And one of the main sources, of course, is murderbydecree.com. Now, that's the website of the book I compiled in 2016 called Murder by Decree, the Crime of Genocide in Canada. And that book was written as a counter-report to the cover-up known as the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, set up by the criminals themselves. The government uh, and the churches actually appointed the TRC commissioners. And in their, t their mandate in 2008, it actually said they couldn't take down any evidence that referred to a dead child, even though half these children never came back. And they couldn't allow any of the evidence brought out to ever be used in a court action. So that's what happens when the serial killer gets to appoint his own investigation. So in response, I wrote Murder by Decree. And I'm going to systematically go through the main points in that today. So you can be educated and armed with the truth of what you're 
seen every night on the corporate media trying to brainwash you uh, to think that now suddenly the, the beast has changed his thoughts and wants to do the right thing. This is really a primer on not only genocide in Canada, but a way to educate yourself as to how this is continuing because the restrictive COVID measures being imposed on you are taken right out of the Indian Act. Mandatory vaccination has been the law in Canada on it, towards Indians on reservations since 1874. Countless times as a minister on the West Coast, I had Native women come to me saying, well, Health Canada showed up again and we're shoving needles in the arms of our kids. We can't do anything or we go to jail. Well, the same law is now being deployed against us, tried out first on Native people. So it's in your interest to learn this evidence and how this genocide is being resisted as we speak, because your life could depend on it. Now, first thing about the, the crime to understand that's playing itself out again is that when you look at all the coverage in the Kamloops, uh, you know, dig, so-called dig going on, it's following a very Orwellian strategy. And this is what lawyers always do. When you're faced with damning evidence in a court, you don't deny it because then you look bad. It's almost an admission of guilt. You embrace it, but you redirect that evidence in the way you want to go. So for example, now, now that they knew that the, the, the graves and Kamloops could be denied, and one of the reasons it, it couldn't be denied anymore is members of the Kamloops Band Council, dissident members, actually broke the news against the decision of the Band Council to keep it all quiet. On May 27th, they leaked that news to the Kamloops media, and it got, went out all over the world. But the Canadian government had a vested interest in it coming out because it's now the final stage of the cover-up. Their Truth and Reconciliation Commission, so-called, destroyed documents, silenced witnesses, but they didn't get rid of the forensic proof, the bones in the ground that are scattered all over Canada. So this is their, their final touch, uh, finishing touch on the cover-up in Canada. They're going to do, and we can predict now because they do it all the time, and they've done it for many years, they're going to announce after a very controlled secret um, investigation, <laughs> the serial killer is going to dig under his house and tell us what happened. And they're going to say, yes, some children died, but it was due to communicable diseases that were spread by acts of nature, not by the fact that children were forced to sleep and play together, the sick and the healthy, described by Dr. Peter Bryce in 1907 in his report. No, they're going to say it was an act of nature. And at the same time, what they're going to do, the second point of the lawyer's strategy is they're going to appear to be doing something when, in fact, they're not doing anything. They, you know, like years ago, they announced a missing women's inquiry. It never met. They said the churches were, were forced to release their secret documents and archives about this. The government said they were going to force them to do it. They never did. As a matter of fact, before the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the Catholic, Anglican, and United Churches had six months to go through their own records and decide what the TRC was going to see. Believe it or not, this is how justice plays out in Canada, so-called. And finally... The third point in a lawyer's strategy, and don't forget governments and churches are run by lawyers and PR consultants. The final step is to rewrite the history. As George Orwell said, whoever controls the past controls the present. So, for example, I'll give you a very concrete example. As part of our campaign in, the, in 2008, when we forced the government to start admitting things, there was an article run in the National Post by a reporter called Jorge Barrera. Now, Jorge Barrera is now snooping around Kamloops and is pretending to be covering the story, even though the RCMP and the Bank Council have locked off the site and have told their own members not to speak to Barrera or only any reporter. Jorge Barrera interviewed me 
And there's an article, you can look it up in the National Post, February 13th, 2008. It's entitled, Native Group Warns of International Court Action, Government Accused of Humanity Crimes. And it quotes me as saying that we will disinter, uh, with the help of Native survivors, mass graves in BC, and charge Canada and the churches with crimes against humanity before the International Court of Justice. Now, that's reported in February 2008, mass graves, criminal actions, Ask people today if they've ever heard of that article. They won't, because after the official apology came down in uh, June 2008, right after that article, my name was swabbed out of the media. You won't see the name Kevin Annett in the press anywhere after 2008. It's what they did in apartheid South Africa when you were ba- they were banning people. When you were banned, your name could never be mentioned in the press. You couldn't meet more with more than a few people. And... You know, it's no accident that South Africa came to Canada after World War II to study the Indian reservations to see how to set up their racial segregation laws under apartheid. Well, they're using the same methods. They just blotted my name and the knowledge of this whole movement out of the media. And that's an example how the history is constantly being rewritten. Well, we're going to go into how to get around that. And we're going to start with the situation right now, some updates on the situation in Kamloops. According to our insiders there and other Native elders who are supporting our campaign for an independent tribunal, and I'm going to get into that later in the show, um, on the, not only was the uh, dig covered up soon after the leak was made, nobody can get in and look at what they're actually doing there, but the government immediately began a whole campaign to make it look like they're going to start launching digs at other sites. A, A lawyer with the government has told us that Prior to July 1st, the Dominion Day weekend uh, holiday, they are going to announce digs at at least two other sites, one of them being the oldest school in British Columbia, the Mission School, which we've documented thoroughly. There's hundreds of children buried there. And the Mushhole, the Brantford Institute, where we did the dig in 2011 and 2012 that proved the children were buried there. And again... None of the media in Canada ever reported that dig. Well, they're going to those two sites especially because it directly implicates the Crown. Uh, The one in in Brantford is the oldest school in Canada going back to the 1830s. There's direct evidence of, like the school in Kamloops, it was used as an experimental center, mind control techniques, pain threshold experiments, torture techniques tried out over a century and a half at that, that one location. And so naturally, they want to put a spin on that and keep all that stuff hidden. And the best way to do that is make sure nobody looks at the bones. So again, controlled digs will probably be happening at those sites. Another thing they announced the other day in the news is, guess what, folks? September 30th is now a national holiday. It's Residential School Children Awareness Day. The dead hand of the state touches the issue again. It's going to turn it into a holiday where you get to sit around and drink beer and think you're doing something about all those children that you helped put in the ground with your tax money and your indifference to the whole issue. Now, this is the thing that I want to question. You know, there's some some real questions that have to be asked. First one is, how do these churches continue to operate when they killed more than 60,000 children? They still have tax-exempt status. They're protected by the law. Every time we protested at the churches, the cops would show up to try to stop us. How come genocidal actors continue yet to operate? and including the government. And secondly, how come people are suddenly concerned about the issue of mass graves when it was news for many years? It's suddenly an issue in people's minds because the government tells you to think about it. 
They say that this is an acceptable issue. Big Brother says you can think about this now, so everybody's thinking about it. It's an, a, a mirror on all of us. The complicity is at a very deep level. It's at a level of having our thoughts even controlled by what we see on the screen. And, you know, it, it's just really difficult for me after going through all of this struggle for many years, seeing many of my friends killed off, people like William Coombs murdered for speaking the truth about the, the, the crimes, all of that human sacrifice and the cost, and suddenly none of it existed until this moment. And now the perpetrators say it's an issue. And so you all think it's an issue. That's something we all need to look in the mirror about and, and contemplate because there's many spiritual repercussions from everything we're talking about. And they, they involve each one of us as complicit citizens of a genocidal regime. And uh, in that regard, one of the things that, uh, we need to respond to is, okay, on April 15th, going back to the year 2005, we've been holding Aboriginal Holocaust Remembrance Day constantly. We hold actions at churches, um, the whole bit. And so let's not fall for their September 30th statutory holiday. It's a way to divert from the real events that are being paid for with the blood, sweat, and tears of the survivors themselves. Okay, so let's get into... uh, something I'm going to lead into because at, at the half hour, I'm going to play two things that are important for our historical memory. And that is a preview of the evidence that was presented in Brussels at the Common Law Court of Justice in 2012 and 2013 that convicted Canada, the Crown of England, the Catholic Anglican United Churches, and the Vatican for crimes against humanity and compelled the resignation of Pope Benedict right when the verdict came out in February 2013. And, um, you know, in that regard, it's important to know that the, we have every right to disestablish these churches. Like I said at the start of the show, it's not about ever waiting for the criminals to admit something. They belong in jail. We have the right under international law to seize the assets and property of the government of Canada, the crown of England, that's the whole country, folks, and the Catholic Anglican United Churches. They're convicted transnational criminal bodies. Under international law, the UN Convention on Transnational Criminal Organizations, they don't have the right to their own assets and property anymore. We can lawfully go into any any of those churches and seize them, open them up as homeless centers, shelters. And on that regard, here's a very important piece of information. Of course, you don't know, because where would you learn it except through us? Um, Chief Capilano, he was one of the guys who came in and occupied the churches with me and many other Native people. Uh, in March 2008, it directly led to the apology. And um, Capilano submitted a notice of appointment and an eviction notice in the BC Supreme Court, uh, March 4th, 2008. You can look it up, docket S036483. It not only is an eviction order expelling the Catholic, Anglican, United Churches from the whole greater Vancouver area, because as traditional elder of the Squamish nation, uh, Capilano said, you guys never asked permission to build here and you killed our people through these churches. So you're ordered off my land. If you look in the corollary document to that, it's a notice of appointment. And it gave me, Kevin Annie, the Eagle Strong Voice, the legal right of entry into the churches to enforce the eviction order, to undertake the search for mass graves, to uh, organize the citizens arrest of these church officials and clergy and to empower police and to appoint sheriffs to conduct those arrests. 
it gave me that power as under traditional law. Now, what's interesting is the apology came very quickly after that. And every time we've shown that document to the police, they backed off because it's a, they understand that it's a legal document. It gives us the right to disestablish these churches and enforce international law by arresting these people. So, of course, this information, you can find it all at murderbydecree.com. We have the legal power to do all this and the lawful power to do it. And this government and the churches know this. All they can do, they can't deny it. All they can do is distract. Don't forget, deny, distract, discredit. That's their, the, the three methods of avoiding their own crimes. And they're relying on everybody's ignorance to allow them to do that. Another important piece of information. So one thing I can mention to you folks, too, when you hear about this stuff, this, this program is going to be archived at bbsradio.com slash here we stand within a day or two. Take this program, play it again to your children and to teachers, get it into the school curriculum. When we published Murder by Decree, the Crime of Genocide in Canada, it began mysteriously vanishing, or not so mysteriously, vanishing from all the libraries in Canada. That's why we had to put it up online at murderbydecree.com. This knowledge belongs in the hands of the next generation. It has to be a priority. People say, what can we do? Well, apologies and money don't do it, people. We've got to reverse the crime by arresting those responsible, disestablishing their institutions, making a whole new deal in Canada, the Republic of Canada, where we live in partnership. The land is returned to Native people, not to the bought-off Native puppet chiefs who are the government employees, but to the people themselves, the ones starving right now down on Hastings Street in Vancouver, forced off their land by their own chiefs in collusion with the Mounties and the Chinese corporations driving up uh, them off their land in northern BC to get the liquid natural gas. All of that we need to turn around, but only by taking the power back into our own hands because the, the people that did the crimes, the, our own government, well, not my government, but that government and churches, they are the ones who are the ones who are guilty and have to be held accountable the way, you know, it's a nice phrase, hold accountable, but how do you hold a system accountable when they're the criminals and they're still in charge? You don't. You operate with a new system, like they had to at Nuremberg, create a new system of law. Now, that's what we're doing with our Canadian Genocide Tribunal, and there'll be more news of that soon. You go to republicofcanata.ca under breaking news and murderbydecree.com under ITCCS updates, and you can see all the evidence. Now, of course, in a one-hour-long show, we don't have nearly enough time, but I want to hit some of the highlights. When you look in the book, Murder by Decree, and you can order it through Amazon or write to me, thecommonland at gmail.com, first thing you notice is we've structured the book like the five definitions of genocide under international law. The UN Convention on Genocide, which binds Canada in theory. Of course, if it was ever enacted, Trudeau and a lot of other people would be in jail at the moment not spouting platitudes on the media. And we've structured the book according to those five definitions, which are genocide occurs when people are killed, when measures are imposed to prevent births and conceptions like sterilizations, which happen in all the Indian hospitals across Canada, murder of newborns, forced abortions, and segregation. Thirdly, you transfer children forcibly from one group to another. The fourth act of genocide is inflicting conditions that are going to cause the destruction of a people over the long run, and finally, causing bodily, bodily and mental harm. Well, all five of those things occurred in residential schools, and this book documents exactly how and why it occurred. 
with all the hard details. We start with the chronology. We start with the whole history that's left out of the history books of what went on, of the empowerment of these churches as an arms of the state. They had these mission schools among the Indians, but then the state uh, stepped in, Canada, in 1891, legalized it, forced all children at gunpoint into these schools so their parents would go to jail or be killed, which often happened, and legalized the whole thing. So like with the Nazi genocide, which was totally legal under their laws, the Canadian genocide was legal under Canadian law, crown law, but not under international or moral law or the law of nature. So that's, you know, the first point. The first section, we go into the hard evidence of, of you know, how the killings happened. Um, oh, here's here's a cute little quote. This is the you folks who live in Lytton, British Columbia. Here's the guy who your town was named after. Sir Edward Bulwer Lytton. He was the first, uh, one of the co-founders of BC and the first speaker of the Legislative Assembly. In Victoria, in 1868, he said, quote, colonization is civilization. If we, the superior race, take the land of other races, we must utterly destroy the previous inhabitants. The disappearance of our local Indians is desired and is of little consequence. Yeah. And uh, here's another one from a former Hudson's Bay Company trader and land speculator, John McLean, writing in his book, Only in Nazco in the year 1908. He said, I just got a blanket well infected with smallpox and put it between my saddle blanket and a sweat pad. I went, to, I went into all the Indian villages with it, and I succeeded. All of the savages died of smallpox. And John Sheepshanks, an Anglican missionary, in that same year in 1864, he spread smallpox deliberately among the Chilcotin and, and Indians around Quenell. All of them were dead within six months. And guess what? He was a shareholder in the company that had bought up and preempted all their land beforehand. So, you know, all of the evidence is right there. And it again, go to murderbydecree.com and you'll see it. Just run off the PDF. Uh, second point, and I'm going to get onto these clips in about two minutes. But if you, when you look through the book, you'll see not only is that first part describing the actual crimes, but the second part talks about the cover-up, the concealment, containment, and deception. And I'm going to go into that in the second part of the show. How exactly are these crimes concealed? Because, you know, it doesn't just require our desire not to believe that our churches and government did this when it's a proven fact now, but also a very sophisticated way of normalizing genocide so it doesn't seem like genocide. And of course, the third part of the book is how the crime is continuing today. And we're going to talk about in the second part of the show. But let's go now to the uh, these clips. One of them is taken from the evidence presented before the International Common Law Court of Justice in Brussels, 2012 to 2013. Uh, previews of some of the testimonies given by the eyewitnesses to genocide in Canada. There'll be pauses between the testimonies because these are YouTube uh, links that are uh, put up originally as broadcast and there, there's things appear, appear on the screen, but bear with it. Uh, we're going to hear, first of all, the background to some of the evidence, the evidence itself. And the second clip you'll hear is the actual verdict and sentence of the International Common Law Court against the Dirty 30, as we call them, Queen Elizabeth Pope Benedict, Prime Minister Stephen Harper, and other officials of church and state. We'll be back after these clips. Hello, this is Kevin Ann at Eagle Strong Voice. On November 5th, history was made by the convening of the first International Common Law Court of Justice. This court was convened to judge the guilt of heads of state and heads of churches 
for crimes against humanity and for unspeakable crimes against children. The full proceedings of the opening session of this court can now be viewed online at www.itccs.org. But for your own edification and to promote the work of the court and the cause of justice, we have created this short sample of some of the key testimonies in this first session of the court. We ask you to post this sample online and especially share it with your local media, educators, and other sympathetic people. The second session of our court will convene during the third week in November 2012. We ask you to keep posted for that at itccs.org. Thank you. I'm in favor. I'm 75. I went to a residence and school in Muskogon in 1941 to 1949. And I had a very, very rough life. I was mistreated in every way. As a young girl, she was seven years old. She was pregnant. And what they did, she had her baby. They, they took the baby, wrapped it up in a nice pink outfit, took it downstairs. I was in the kitchen with the nun for cooking supper. They took the baby into the, uh, what do you call that, where they make a fire and all that to heat up the school furnace room. They threw that little baby in there and burnt it alive. All you could hear was, that was it. And you could smell the, the, you know, the flesh cooking. Uh-uh. It's a big mistake when people say we were treated good. No way. So after my brother got better, he needed to go back to the mush hole. And we didn't go back for that next year. But it was some time after that, during the time that, um, that we were out of school for the summer, that he had, and we were going to go back. And he told, he said, you know what happened to all of those kids that were there at the mush hole? He said, do you remember that? And I said, yeah. I said, our, our dorm was just full of girls. And he said, yeah, so was ours full of boys. And he said, um, did you, uh, do you remember, do you know what happened to them? And I said, no. And he said, they called in the army and they, and they took them to the army base and they, and they shot them. They stood them all along this big hole and they shot them and was, as, as um, when the bullets hit them they fell into the, into the uh, hole. And, um, and he said when they were all done, he said those that, that had, hadn't fallen into the hole, uh, some of them were still alive. He said some of them were still alive in the hole. And he said they came along. And, I want to say a bulldozer. That what comes to my mind, but I'm not really sure that my brother had said a bulldozer. They came along with a big machine anyway, and they and they shoved them all in that big hole and they covered it up. And um, and he says um, that's what happened to them. And I must have been about eight, I guess, or seven or eight, somewhere through there. That see, that must have been 43 or 44. Uh, here we are, second day of the dig near the mush hole. And this is an area about 100 yards from the school where we found consistent bone samples. And these regular 
types of buttons. Probably off of, well, clothing, obviously. But the interesting thing is here and at the Glebe site, they're of the same style as if they're off a standard uniform or something. Could be a child's button off a school okay. uniform. Scary. Finding those little skulls in there. What were those little skulls? Where did they come from? Could you describe what they look like? Tiny little ones. Two little skulls. Tiny baby ones. And they're in here. I feel that fear we had running upstairs through that door. And uh, I spent five years in the, uh, well, the Canadian government calls the residential schools, but really these were prisoner of war camps. I was one in the one called the Mohawk uh, Institute. Starved us, beat us, froze us. And uh, it, it was horrific. There was no controls in the place. Kids were always getting beat up or being put through various torture uh, uh, rituals. A lot of the kids were tortured in there. They were made to hang off uh, hot pipes until uh, they couldn't hold on anymore and they just fell to the floor from the roof. And uh, they were beaten. Whenever someone felt like it, uh, made to hold on to electric fences or and the ministry found out I was pregnant and they told me to have an abortion and after I have the abortion to have a tubal ligation so I won't have any more children they said if I didn't didn't um, have a tubal ligation, then I would never see my daughter Patricia again. Furnace going burning 24/7, which was totally out of bounds, and, uh, and me and a friend uh, witnessed two uh, of uh, the uh, sisters or brothers. Uh, taken uh, look like little bodies under uh, white uh, wrappings or white cloth, and uh, putting into the uh, uh, putting into the uh, furnace. And the queen came visited visited for about three days, uh, two three days. I don't know how long it was. I think it was about three days actually, and a lot of children went missing there. Many children uh, that that weren't cooperative, um, like myself, uh, wasn't cooperative, and they were put into uh, the uh, with the children who were sick with was uh, at the end of the uh, dormitory. They kept the sickies there, the ones who were sick with tuberculosis, and um, they they put me and my brother Ernie in with with the ones who were sick because, uh, because we wouldn't comply. In the same room with people who had TB, um, they didn't separate but us. Then we were forced to play with them. The nuns made us play with those kids. We didn't want to get sick either, but they, they were forcing us to play with those kids. And also, they made some of them sleep with the other kids.
I would have loved to have seen the uh, the perpetrators uh, severely punished for all of this. And I would the, the greatest thing I I would want to see is the Church of England get barred from practicing in Canada. It's just insane. Like you don't murder children and get away with it. And I work every day to protect children, and it just really bothers me that, that so many of our children have been killed, and, and nothing's ever been done about it. Like, you read about it, and, and there's information on it all over the place, but nothing's ever been done about it. So why should these people, the churches and the government and Indian Affairs, were all in on this as well, why should they get away with killing our children? It's just not right, and something needs to be done about it. The final verdict of the court's citizen jury in the matter of the People versus Canada, the Crown of England, the Vatican, and the Anglican, Catholic, and United Church of Canada, and their officers and other parties for crimes against humanity and criminal conspiracy. Case number one in the docket of the court. Let it be known and duly recorded that the verdict from the jury members reads as follows. After careful deliberation of all the evidence and facts presented to us, and in the absence of any case or response by the defendants, it is the unanimous verdict of we, the citizen jury of the International Common Law Court of Justice, that 1. The 30 named defendants in this case are guilty as charged on the two indictments. That is, they are guilty of committing or aiding and abetting crimes against humanity and of being part of an ongoing criminal conspiracy, and that 2. The named defendants in this case shall receive the full sentence recommended by the prosecution. We, the jury, hereby declare our free and unanimous decision and discharge our duty under the common law. We thank the court for granting us this responsibility. Date of this 21st day of February in the year 2013. This court recognizes the validity and lawfulness of the decision of these jurors according to the common law precedent that a quorum of twelve citizens is required and sufficient for any just and lawful verdict. It is now the duty of this court to confirm this verdict and impose sentencing and enforcement against the defendants. This court therefore finds the thirty named defendants in this case and their institutions guilty as charged on the two counts of the indictment of having committed or aided and abetted crimes against humanity and of being part of an ongoing criminal conspiracy. The court imposes the following sentence on the defendants and their institutions. 1. Each of the defendants is hereby sentenced to 25 years involuntary confinement in a public correction facility without the possibility of parole. 2. The personal assets and property of each of the defendants is forthwith confiscated and will be distributed to the victims of their actions and policies or to the surviving members of the victims' families. The assets and property of the institutions of which the defendants are the responsible officers are hereby publicly expropriated and are declared to be the common wealth and property of the people as a whole. In addition, the archives, records, and facilities of these institutions are declared open and are henceforth in the possession of the people. 4. These institutions of church and state are henceforth and forever legally, politically, and morally disestablished and are prohibited from operating or existing within our communities or anywhere within the jurisdiction of the common law and the law of nations, including the 15 nations represented in this court. These institutions are permanently banned from our midst. 5. All of the citizens of these nations, 
and within the jurisdiction of the common law and the law of nations are hereby and forever enjoined and ordered to abide by and enforce this sentence these citizens are hereby authorized to act as legal agents of this court and this sentence by peacefully occupying and seizing the property assets and movable articles of these institutions of church and state and declaring them to be under the common ownership of the people six the peace officers of these nations are hereby instructed to assist in the enforcement of this just sentence and in this process of peaceful reclamation by adhering to their oath of office and keep the peace by protecting the agents of the court and others engaged in the enforcement of this sentence 7. The legal agents of the court and all those citizens who act to enforce this sentence are, as of March 4, 2013, armed with an international citizen's arrest and reclamation warrant to be issued by the court that authorizes them to enter any facility of the defendants and immediately detain them and their accessories in order to enforce this sentence. 8. Finally, the court orders the continued investigation of the crimes of the defendants and their institutions and their accessories. The costs of this case and subsequent cases arriving from this sentence are levied on the assets of the defendants and their accessories. The defendants are hereby given seven days from this date to voluntarily surrender themselves and their assets and property to the agents and common law peace officers of the court, or face immediate arrest and confinement by our agents and common law peace officers according to the sentence. A court order is hereby issued to that effect. After seven days, commencing on March 4, 2013, these court officers will begin to make such arrests and enforcements. As of that date, March 4, 2013, the property and assets of the named institutions can be lawfully and legally occupied and seized by these officers and all citizens who act to enforce the sentence of the court. The court excuses the jury members and declares its proceedings concluded. This court is adjourned until the commencement of the next case in its docket. Issued and entered into the permanent record of the International Common Law Court of Justice, Monday, February 25, 2013. Well, there you go, folks. That was the lawfully established court of record. Now, you know, the verdict of that, ever since March 4th, 2013, Canada has not existed as a lawful institution, if it ever did. You know, but even under its own rules, under international law, it's a rogue nation at that point, as is the Crown of England generally, and this applies to all the Commonwealth countries, and the Vatican. So, you know, the question at that point is, you don't look to the people who are guilty of the crime to arrest themselves. Obviously, it's up to the people themselves to enforce this. Now, the act of enforcing it is really drawing a line in the sense saying we're not part of your old system anymore because we cannot morally and legally now live under your old system. That led to the establishment of the Republic of Canada two years later. It is the only way to go for people in this country who do not and cannot be part of a genocidal system anymore. The International Criminal Court which was set up in 1998 to actually put rogue states like Canada on trial and their head officers and the Vatican and any power that committed these horrendous crimes that are continuing. Uh, the International Criminal Court actually says that 
in uh, their uh, founding articles that citizens are obliged not to obey the dictates of a government that's being convicted lawfully of crimes against humanity. Therefore, Canadians cannot lawfully pay their taxes or vote or obey any of these nonsensical COVID measures. You're actually committing a crime against humanity where you're aiding and abetting those crimes when you cooperate with the Canadian government. So you've got to put all of that you're hearing on the news and all of these crocodile tears being shed over children in Kamloops by the killers themselves. You've got to put that in that context. We need a whole new ball of wax, a whole new system. And it's already in existence. That's the point. It's not just a nice idea. It exists now under international law and under the establishment of the Republic of Canada. January 15th, 2015, we created a new jurisdiction for people to belong to, to not be part of the genocidal system, to not commit crime, and to create something different. So it one leads naturally to the other, and it's probably why we've had such pushback the l- last year on this whole campaign, because it's not about dead children anymore or genocide. It's on a much bigger level. We have set up all during 2020 and part of 2021 – We have been setting up a total now of over 50 Republic assemblies across Canada. We're enacting the decision of that court. We're saying, okay, we need our own assemblies to pass our own laws. And they, you know, we pass laws against the COVID measures and that, but also some assemblies in Ontario pass laws actually keeping tax money in the community, challenging the fraud and criminality of the Canadian government at every level. And we had incredible pushback because literally in every Republic assembly we set up and it's adjoining courts and Kamala sheriffs that are the officers of that court everywhere. We had infiltration, disruption, people being taken out. I mean, just a lo- incredible level of pushback over the last year because they know that we're on the right track. They know that a new nation has to rise from the ashes of that genocide. It's the only way to do justice to the children in the ground and the children still being trafficked as we speak and killed. Because part three in murderbydecree.com, don't forget, is about how the crime continues today. And I want to finish uh, the show today and carrying over to the show next week um, by talking about that, how the crime continues today and why the Canadian Genocide Tribunal set up under that verdict that you heard read out from 2013 and under international and common law, how that nation is to come about is through recognizing that these crimes continue today and the only way to stop them is through our own mechanisms our own courts our own people's assemblies especially since parliament dissolved itself with less than 10 percent less than a quorum back in uh, 2020 they dissolved themselves and put all power in the hands of the uh what's called the privy council or actually in the hands of one person richard wagner governor general and chief justice of the supreme court can now operate. And guess what? One of the last things the Canadian Parliament did before they prorogued and dissolved themselves illegally, they gave the Privy Council unlimited power to tax. Well, because they're going to, my personal theory is they're running the economy into the ground to allow China to buy it up cheap. And to do that, they can now impose any tax they want on you without any accountable authority, without going through Parliament. Now, Back in 1649, they chopped off the head of the King of England and declared a brief Republican in England because of exactly that crime by the King Charles I. He was taxing without going to Parliament and consulting the will of the people. Just like the American Revolution, no taxation without representation. Well, the same thing here. We're back to the Middle Ages again in Canada, and we've got a feudal system of government operating, all because 
they got away with this genocide. And so naturally, they think they can get away with a cover-up of the graves again. So these are the consequences, folks, of not confronting genocide on the ground. It's continuing and festering and getting worse. The whole COVID police state is based on genocide. It's a continuing genocide. We can talk more about that. Uh, last week, I had George Brown on. He was a um, retired RCMP officer and indigenous man from the Gitsan Indigenous Nation, Northern BC. He's talked a lot and listened to the show last week, um, June 13th. It's archived at our site. He talks about how the RCMP were ordered not to release any evidence they found uh, that might implicate the church and the government. I mean, this thing is so corrupt. It's like El Capone, Chicago. And uh, the point is not to get discouraged about this. We've created alternative ways that you can fight back through the Republic of Canada, through the assemblies and it, it's that are still operating despite the attacks. Common law courts, the Canadian Genocide Tribunal is all part of this alternative. Now, July 1st, the Genocide Tribunal is formally being established. We have participation from outside Canada. We have 18 Indigenous elders already supporting it. The same who, by the way, uh, not wanting to blow my own horn, which I'm not, but I've been nominated for the Order of Canada and by these same chiefs. Now, of course, I wouldn't accept it even if they gave it to me because it's a crown award. But the very fact that I have been is great publicity for the cause and the fact that we are not going along with the continued cover-up and murder of children. The cover-up can happen. The murder tomorrow can happen as well. And so this same group of Indigenous people are sponsoring this genocide tribunal under the authority of their own land law jurisdiction on their territories. They're going to invite in our investigators and forensic specialists. We've assembled a team. They're going to be coming onto their territories, unearthing the, the remains of children, and we'll be announcing the results of those test digs and the forensic analysis, laying criminal charges, and enforcing the verdict of the International Common Court of Justice, arresting the heads of these churches and government, and bringing about a new arrangement under the jurisdiction of the Republic of Canada. If you want to learn more, go to Republic of Canada, K-A-N-A-T-A, republicofcanada.ca, become a citizen, renounce your allegiance to, the, to Canada and the criminal crown jurisdiction criminally convicted crown. And like we said to the police, members of parliament, anybody listening here, revoke your oath of allegiance to Queen Elizabeth. That's the only one that the members of parliament owe allegiance to or any official in Canada. Queen Elizabeth and her descendants, one convicted felon over in London is who they serve, not the people or the constitution. It's time people came over to the just and lawful Republic of Canada. And that's what we do all over the country. You can learn more just write to republicofcanada at gmail.com and see that re website, republicofcanada.ca. This is some of the solid alternatives, and the Canadian Genocide Tribunal is part of that reclamation. A final point of hope here is that, as we're going to talk about next week with another Indigenous survivor who's been involved in our whole campaign, um, the initiative has always been in our hands. They are only going to these mass graves because we compel them to. We have set the pattern all along, and the government and the criminals and churches are responding to our initiatives. They're trying to do that legal strategy I talked about early on, the lawyer strategy of containing, control, you know, embracing an issue and, and spinning it in their direction. We've got to prevent that from happening. So when they roll out their September 30th national holiday, use that day to occupy a church, to arrest these convicted criminals. Turn it, the tables on them. That's the only way we're ever going to get justice. It's the only thing that's ever worked up till now. And don't forget the Republic of Canada has passed a law 
and it governs you when you take an oath of citizenship and become a member of the Republic. They passed anti-genocide laws so that the Catholic, Anglican, United Churches are not allowed to operate on the soil of the Republic of Canada. Their churches are to be shut down and taken over by the people, as you heard in that verdict and sentencing. Their officers arrested. There's standing arrest warrants for these people who are still trafficking children as we speak. And we're going to get into the details next week of how the crime is continuing. But don't forget, the initiative has always been in our hands. And we're going to talk spiritually next week as well about, you know, the the group mind and how we've affected it and turned it in our direction. And um, the final clip we're going to hear today is actually the I've been to the mountaintop speech by Martin Luther King just before he was killed. He said he's been to the mountaintop and he saw into the promised land. And by doing that, he's reclaiming the territory, like Sun Tzu says in The Art of War. Redefine the issue, not as, you know, one of saying you're sorry to your own victims after the fact, but saying, no, these criminals do not belong in power. They belong behind bars. Otherwise, our children are in danger, as they are at every moment. And just look at the way they're pushing these criminal vaccinations. Don't forget, they tested out these vaccinations on children in Indian hospitals. The Namo Indian Hospital, the Charles Council Hospital in Edmonton, the Lakehead Psychiatric Hospital, the Allen Memorial Institute in Montreal. Native children were taken in there en masse. And Pfizer and these other drug companies now that are insisting they shove their needles into your children's arm through their puppet governments, these same drug companies tested out their drugs on Native children for generations and killed them en masse. Health Canada imposed these measures on children. You're going to believe the, the very bodies that murdered Native children. You're going to trust them with the health of your children. You'd be insane and suicidal to do that. So this is how the knowledge of the past helps us today. And it has to be, though, within our new jurisdiction. Finally, and before we hear Martin Luther King on our way out here, I will be commencing this work directly with the Canadian Genocide Tribunal. I've been asked to be the special advisor to that tribunal. We'll be going across Canada in many different communities, helping people uncover these remains, turn the tables on the criminals, and create a new tribunal that can enforce the previous verdicts and stop this genocidal system once and for all. That's going to be what we're doing. You can write to me personally to be part of that at angelfire101 at protonmail.com, and please go through murderbydecree.com. It can save your life. This isn't just another issue of people. This is the crimes that happen because of your tax money and your consent through not simply commission, but omission. The only way we can wipe that genocidal legacy clear and get the blood off our own hands is by doing right now by the dead, not by self-serving criminals in church and state that are once again trying to control and conceal our own crime. Bingo Dawson, Harry Wilson, Ricky Lavalley, all the other people, uh, my friends who died on the streets of Vancouver, killed by the police or by lethal injection, like the case of William Coombs, according to his nurse, Chloe Kirker, arsenic poisoning, because he was going to talk about Queen Elizabeth's abduction of those children from the Kamloops school. All of this now that they're trying to conceal, we owe it to these fallen brothers and sisters to bring out the truth so that there won't be any more fallen in the future. That's our sacred obligation We are in this to the death. We hope that your hearts and minds will be moved to join us. It's your life that is at stake. We're ending now listening to Martin Luther King. And please come back next week. Learn more, murderbydecree.com. 
Stay strong, stay clear, pick up the torch. Thank you, brothers and sisters. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. So just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. anybody I would like to live a long life longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now I just want to do God's will and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land I may not get there with you But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. 